the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blind is engineering and producing today's program, and we're glad to have you with us. We're going to begin with a little bit of the developing news from the day, and then we will go to our normal fare for a Friday afternoon. We'll take a look at the lighter side of the news, stuff we wouldn't normally cover during the course of a broadcast week. While the Trump Organization and two senior company officials may face criminal charges stemming from the uh, hush money former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen paid to individuals whose names I don't need to say again. The war of words between President Trump and Attorney General Jeff Sessions broke out over an interview where the president slammed Sessions for never taking control of his Justice Department. Sessions then vowed the Department of Justice would not be influenced by politics. And the attorney for Molly Tibbetts accused killer uh, dismissed claims that his client is an illegal immigrant as rhetoric And Representative uh, Duncan Hunter denied using campaign funds for personal spending and called the criminal indictment against him and his wife pure politics. Hurricane Lane, now a Category 3 storm, battered uh, Hawaii with heavy rain and triggered landslides as emergency crews rescued five trapped tourists. And they're expecting more rain as the storm approaches. Uh, As I... um, uh, mentioned uh, President uh, Trump on Friday told, well, actually, I didn't mention this, but President Trump on Friday told Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to cancel his planned trip to North Korea, citing a lack of sufficient progress with the rogue regime on denuclearization while uh, also slamming China. I have asked Secretary of State Mike Pompeo not to go to North Korea at this time because I feel we are not making sufficient progress with respect to the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, he tweeted. Additionally, because of our much stronger trading stance with China, I do... I do not believe they are helping with the process of denuclearization as they once were, despite the U.N. sanctions which are in place. I have asked Secretary of State Mike Pompeo not to go. Well, uh, the president's uh, directive came after Pompeo's announcement on Thursday that he would travel to the country next week. A State Department spokesman did not immediately respond for um, Pompeo's reaction to the president's uh, tweets, but the president and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, they engaged in an historic summit in, summit rather in June in Singapore, where the dictator promised to work toward complete denuclearization. And despite that agreement, the rogue nation is possibly constructing new intercontinental ballistic missiles and moving on with business as usual for the missile program. A U.S. official with knowledge of the intelligence assessment said that last month that Ken's regime is pushing forward with building ICBMs. CBMs. Also last month, the Washington Post reported that satellite images appeared to indicate North Korea's possible construction of ICBMs at the same facility the country produced its first long-range missile, including the Hwasong-15, which may have been the may have rather the the capacity to hit the United States east coast. North Korea launched its first successful ICBM in July of 2017. So the Secretary of State will not be traveling there as 
thought. And Arizona Republican Senator John McCain, the self-styled maverick of the Senate, who has served three decades in Congress, will discontinue medical treatment for brain, uh, brain cancer, his family said in a statement on Friday. The Vietnam War veteran, who survived five years as a prisoner of war and went on to become the party's presidential nominee in 2008, was diagnosed last July with a brain tumor following a procedure earlier in the year to remove a blood clot from above his left eye. He has not uh, voted since last December. In Friday's statement, his family revealed how the disease has uh, worsened. Last summer, Senator John McCain shared with Americans the news our family already knew. He had been diagnosed with an aggressive uh, glioblastoma, and the prognosis was serious. In the years since, John has surpassed expectations for his survival, but the progress of the disease and the inexorable advance of age render their verdict. They said uh, with this uh, usual strength of will, with his usual strength of will, he has now chosen to discontinue medical treatment. A reaction poured in after the family's announcement. John McCain is an American hero, always putting country before self. From Vietnam to the halls of the U.S. Senate, the spirit of service and civility that has guided Senator McCain's life stands as a model for all Americans, regardless of political affiliation. That was a quote from Arizona Governor Doug Ducey in a statement. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell tweeted, Very sad to hear this morning's update from the family of our dear friend, Senator John McCain. We are so fortunate to call him our friend and colleague. John, Cindy, and the entire McCain family are in our prayers at this incredibly difficult time. The Mayo Clinic Hospital in Phoenix last summer said that the original blood clot was associated with a primary brain tumor known as a... um, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing this correctly, but uh, glibioblastoma. Uh, McCain is 81. He served in the U.S. Senate for more than two decades, ran for president twice, lost the GOP nomination to George W. Bush in 2000, and was the Republican nominee in 2008 before losing to Barack Obama in the general election. Last December, McCain returned to the Senate for the first time since his brain cancer diagnosis. He delivered powerful remarks on the Senate floor addressing the need for bipartisanship and gridlock in the chamber. Make no mistake, he said at the time, my service here is the most important job I have had in my life. And I am so grateful to the people of Arizona for the privilege, for the honor of serving here and at the and the opportunities it gives me to play a small role in the history of the country I love. He acknowledged, um, acknowledging rather senators he's known and admired, went on to say, but they knew that however sharp and heartfelt their disputes, however keen their uh, ambitions, they had an obligation to work collaboratively to ensure the Senate discharged its constitutional responsibilities effectively. He was criticized, Mr. McCain, the Senate's uh, uh, deliberations uh, in the last year, calling them more partisan, more tribal than any uh, time that he remembered. He blamed both sides for the lack of cooperation. Earlier this year, John McCain penned a memoir titled The Restless Wave, Good Times, Just Causes, Great Fights, and Other Appreciations, written by himself and Mark Salter, who had collaborated with McCain on all seven of his other books. I don't know how much longer I'll be here, he writes. Maybe I'll have another five years. Maybe with the advance of oncology, they'll find new treatments for my cancer that will extend my life. Maybe I'll be gone before you read this. My predicament is, well, rather unpredictable, he wrote. But I'm prepared for either uh, contingency, and at least I'm getting prepared. I have some things I'd like to uh, take care of first, some work that needs finishing, and some people I need to see. And I want to talk to my fellow Americans a little more, if I may.
end quote. Well, McCain, who has uh, repeatedly been at odds with President Trump and criticized his rhetoric and leadership, said this year that he doesn't want the president to attend his funeral and prefers that Vice President Pence be there instead. Well, last week, Trump signed a $716 billion defense policy bill titled John S. McCain National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2019, uh, though did not mention the senator. John McCain once again has made the decision to discontinue medical treatments for brain cancer. And dangerous flooding is already underway across uh, Hawaii as Hurricane Lane approaches. For the latest news and reports, you can uh, update on any of the news uh, programs because they're rather preoccupied with the uh, uh, hurricane as it's bearing down on the country. Lives and property will remain in significant peril across the uh, the island as hurricane, or I should say islands, as Hurricane Lane will continue to unload feet of uh, rain, strong wind gusts, and dangerous surf into this weekend. Lane has the potential to be the single costliest hurricane in recorded history of Hawaii and may end up causing the most expensive hurricane damage in all of the United States for the 2018 hurricane season. That's According to AccuWeather president and founder, Dr. Joel Myers, Hurricane um, Inc., let's see, Eniki uh, caused just over $3 billion in damage to Hawaii in September of 1992, which would be about $5 billion in today's dollars, according to Myers. Lane could potentially cause an excess of $10 billion in damage due to its forecast impacts, as well as the increase in population, property, property value, and infrastructure on the Hawaiian Islands. Since then, Myers said, the damage could be uh, extensive, more from water than from wind. Well, if the storm tracks closer to the island than what AccuWeather is uh, currently projecting, it could cause as much as $20 billion uh, of damage or more, which would make it the costliest hurricane in uh, Hawaii's history. Lane has already unloaded about two feet of rain across the parts of the big island, leading to flooding and debris flows. A hurricane force wind gust of 74 miles per hour was reported on, on Oahu's Forest National Wildlife Refuge last night. Lane currently is a Category 2 hurricane. It's going to weaken slowly, but that will uh, not lessen the risk to lives and property. It uh, slows um, its slow forward speed will result in an extended period of rain, wind and high surf as compared to a fast moving storm. Lane will continue on the north to northwest path through Friday night during the weekend. A turn back to the west is forecast. So keep your... Um, fellow countrymen in Hawaii in your prayers. And new research from the University of Oregon provides a clearer picture of where the big one could strike along the Cascadia subduction uh, zone. The fault running for more than 600 miles off the coast of Washington, Oregon, Northern California, and Vancouver Island, Canada, is more complex than first thought, according to research from the university. Our study doesn't address the when question, but does address where it might start occurring. That's a quote from Doug Toomey, professor of earth sciences, and it's most likely to occur where the fault is more strongly locked. Well, those locations include a stretch of Washington shore off the Olympic uh, mountain range and to the south, and a second along the Oregon and Northern California coast. Toomey, a PhD, a student, Miles um, uh, Bodmer and a University of Oregon team set out to seismometers, uh, many of them on the continental shelf underwater to try to image what the Cascadia subduction zone, uh, zone rather looks like deep inside the earth. The fault begins at the edge of the continental uh, shelf and that um, 
Uh, that is where the threat lies. And on this day in 1992, Hurricane Andrew smashes into Florida, causing $30 billion in damage. 43 U.S. deaths would be blamed on the storm. And on this day in 1932, Amelia Earhart embarked on a 19-hour flight from Los Angeles to Newark, New Jersey, making her the first woman to fly solo nonstop from coast to coast. And A.D. 79... Long dormant Mount Vesuvius erupts, burying the Roman cities of Pompeii and uh, others in volcanic ash, killing approximately 20,000 people all on this day. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're, uh, we're going to focus our attention on the lighter side of the news and stories we wouldn't typically cover during the course of the week. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a rather fun Friday afternoon. James Blind is engineering and producing today's program. I don't know what else he's doing, but he is on the other side of the glass where I can keep an eye on him. Hey, the Hood to Coast is underway. And for those of you who are going to be on the road, keep an eye peeled, which sounds extraordinarily painful, but you get the idea because there will be runners on the road between uh, Portland and the coast uh, this evening, as well as throughout the uh, the remainder of the day, and uh, right up along the coastal range. The woman who was run over by a truck during Hood to Coast last year uh, has returned. Uh, It's a special event for many runners who make the race an annual tradition, but for Cindy Gillespie, this year's run meant a little bit more. Last year, Gillespie was uh, napping in a field with uh, other runners at Exchange 24 in Columbia County when police said a drunk driver, or rather a drunk runner, stole a porta-potty truck and hit her. The truck came to rest on her thigh. Well, since the traumatizing experience, she's been healing with a goal in sight, and that was to race in the Hood to Coast 2018. Five months ago, she finally started to run again. Prior to the race, she said she was excited to be able to participate in one of her favorite events again. When this happened last year, I said, yes, I will be running Hood to Coast, she recalled. That's the most exciting part, that it's here and we're going to be running in it. Well, just minutes prior to her handoff on Friday, she admitted it was uh, more of an emotional moment than she had anticipated. It's been an emotional morning, but I found... uh, I fought through, rather, and I'm already to go. Gillespie said, I think I'll feel much better after I get uh, going and run my first leg. Here we go. Let the run begin. Well, Friday marked her 21st year competing in Hood to Coast. So keep, uh, again, keep your eyes peeled for runners on the road. There have been four flaggers who've been hit by cars just in this last week. So we need to be very careful and mindful of those who are share- with whom we are sharing the road. And uh, congratulations, Uh, to this uh, 21-year veteran of Hood to Coast, Cindy Gillespie. Well, it's that time of year when the state fair is uh, about to begin. In fact, later, it might be this weekend. Does it start this weekend? Anyway, in uh, Iowa, that sort of sets the the, the mark for what is uh, all things state fair. And Iowa State Fair's strangest foods this year could be cookie dough spaghetti. Mmm, cookie dough spaghetti. I don't know what the thing is eating raw cookie dough because I'm guessing this is raw, but that doesn't sound particularly appealing to uh, to me. How about you, James? Well, what do you do? Use chocolate syrup as the sauce because tomato sauce certainly doesn't sound good with it. No, no. Well, it's no secret the Iowa State Fair is a fried food lovers paradise, but with nearly 200 concession stands. Oh, that sounds like paradise. 
this year's vendors. They're urging fairgoers to make room for dessert, and there'll be plenty of it. One 15-year-old employee of Dipped in Chocolate said sweet treats are becoming the new main course at the fair, famous for its uh, deep-fried uh, corn dogs, pork chops on a stick, and so on. Pork chops on, on a, a stick. stick. Hmm. I mean, you put anything on a stick and somehow it becomes a novelty fair food. We began experimenting with chocolate chip cookie dough a few years back, he says, and it just blew up. Um, uh, the uh, crazy fair attendees enjoyed our crazy food and the rest is history. Well, the booth, which specializes in items like chocolate dipped bananas, cookie dough balls, strawberries, um, uh, apparently that goes with the cookie dough balls, is now introducing its newest shop uh, showstopper, and that is cookie dough spaghetti a dish that um, can rival any other fried concoction. It's probably the craziest thing he's ever seen, but apparently it's very popular. Well, the dish is a a fun take on cookie dough in the form of a plate of spaghetti and meatballs with red sauce. So red sauce, what might that be? Cookie dough spaghetti noodles are topped with Ferraro Rocher chocolate meatballs, uh, while the red sauce is substituted with a, a, a strawberry dessert sauce. Well, there you go. All right. That's a, yeah, that's a little happier. Yeah. I'm not sure I want the Rocher with the cookie dough that's been deep fried. Other, um, other stands are joining the uh, strange wave of entree-themed goodies, including ice cream nachos. Thumb up, thumb down. Yeah. More of a meh wiggle. Brisket mango tango. You had me at brisket, lost me at mango. Yeah. And um, just beef, scared to tango. How about this? Beef Sundays. Uh, can you clarify that any further than... No, I pretty much can't. Beef Sunday. I'm guessing it's beef somehow with a scoop of potatoes on it that, and maybe I, gravy so it looks like a Sunday. And I, I hope that's what it is. Okay, here. I'm, I'm looking it up because okay. I, I, I have to know. Well, there are 56 new items uh, just this year. Fairgoers can expect the unexpected when it comes to new food lineup, and some of them might show up at our own state fair. While Iowa may not be the biggest fair in the nation, Texas and Minnesota are larger. The 164-year-old tradition sets the tone for the bizarre food competition all across the country. Every year we have a new food contest and our concessionaires get real fired up or fried up in this case about uh, about that. And they'll try crazy and wacky things, says the marketing director for the fair. The booth owners aren't just after the best original recipes. They're also competing to attract the most visitors, of course. Concession sales are a critical part of the fair's success. The uh, unusual food items helped to lure in over a million visitors last year. Oh. According to fair officials, roughly 70 percent of nearly one million visitors in Des Moines identify themselves as foodies who wanted to try Something new and odd, like, what did we say? The beef sundae. The hot beef sundae appears to be mashed potatoes, shredded beef, gravy, cheese, and a cherry tomato on top. Yeah, that's pretty predictable. Yeah, that's... I mean, it's a and cute it way sounds to serve edible. It, but yeah. It's a, very edible. And you can walk around, uh, apparently, while you're eating it. Well, it's still the new uh, cuisines that get the attention at this Iowa State Fair. A new fair food contest is held every year among the newcomers. One of 228 different food competitions at the fair. Voting began on the first day of the fair and ends, well, today. Uh, Apart from taste, presentation, and value, they're also important. You have to try to keep things reasonably priced. For the uh, serving size, is it worth $3? Is it worth $6? When it's judged, they uh, they do look at those kinds of things. This year, there are three finalists. The brown sugar pork belly on a stick. Again, on a stick. Um, The all-Iowa belly-up burger. 
And the third finalist, an apple egg roll. It's kind of an apple fritter. Uh, the winner will be announced, um, or rather, I think it may have been announced. I'm not sure when that's going to be announced. Anyway, there you so, have it. I, it begs the question. Now, obviously, that's contemporary, modern, even avant-garde, if you will, fair food. Nouvelle cuisine. Yes. Over the years, what would you say is your all-time favorite fair food with the Oregon State Fair starting this weekend? You know, I haven't been to the Oregon State Fair in years, but I am hoping to make it this year. I just like things on a stick. I like hot dogs on a stick. I like um, funnel cakes. I haven't tried a whole lot of stuff, and I don't I don't remember last time I was there, which has probably been more than a decade. I don't remember any strange, unusual thing that, um, you know, I think for me at the time, fried Twinkies was kind of a novelty, which yeah, well, I, yeah. I never tried it. But a decade ago, that would have been the... Yeah. That was the, the, the entry-level drug, if you will, yes. of, of the fried food um, mania that seems to go on to this day. Yeah. Fried Snickers and whatnot. Yeah, well, it all looks good to me. Yeah, I, I, I don't get to eat most of the fair foods I enjoyed, just with the gluten issues, but uh, I, I still, as long as fairs have dairy women stands, I'll be a very happy person. Well, there you go. Well, thieves in Georgia, and I just picture this because... Well, just picture this. Thieves in Georgia must have been craving a savory snack as they made off with nearly $100,000 worth of ramen noodles. This is according to the Fayette County Sheriff's Office. Now, what you can buy a package of ramen noodles for what? About 35 cents? Can you imagine the volume that would be required to cost $100,000? They had to have a cruise ship. To carry that off. It sounds like a cargo tanker. I mean, it, that, yeah, because it's... $100,000 worth of ramen noodles. The thieves who have not yet been located, although you'd think you'd see them coming, uh, took the packages of noodles between the 25th of uh, July and August the 1st, so not all in one sitting. The noodles were located inside a 53-foot trailer, which was parked at a Chevron station. The owner of the trailer, who said he has uh, was given permission to park at the trailer, or park the trailer there... Uh, said it was locked at the time the food was uh, allegedly stolen. Uh, the ramen incident is just one in a series of thefts that authorities think are related, according to the local news there. $100,000 of ramen noodles. Now, they didn't, apparently, they didn't take the trailer. They took the noodles. How do you pull that off? I'm looking here. Depending on where you choose to shop, you're looking at... About twenty nine cents to a dollar nine for one package of ramen. Yeah. So I mean, even at most, that is a hundred thousand packages of ramen. <laughs> More likely, it is four hundred thousand packages of ramen. Because you got to figure, if you're buying that bulk to begin with, you're going to get a deal. But uh, my goodness, that's a lot that's of a ramen. A lot of ramen. What's your favorite? You know, I was always the. I think my favorite was always the the chicken. I like the original. Yeah, it, it's called Oriental, which is certainly not PC today. But the the original was my favorite. And there's something about Robin. I, I know it's not great for you. It's not good for you, probably at all. At least the packaged version of it. Uh, but I still really, really like it. I, it's just so flavorful and satisfying. I don't eat it with any regularity. In fact, I don't know when I've had it, but. I always really we enjoyed used it. to a number of years ago here in the building. We in, in the office, in fact, we used to have a vending machine, and it had all kinds yeah. of snacks and candies and cookies and things in there. And usually there would be some type of ramen. Yep, 
and what one, one day it was like fifty cents, I think. It was the little one in the in the, in the plastic cup. Uh, you just add hot water to it, yep. let it sit for a couple minutes, and boom, there you go. And uh, one day I'm eating it, and I notice the walls of the cup are glowing. I'm like, well, well, well that's that's not of God. Um, <laughs> that that that's not that's that's that can't be good for you. And I, I haven't been able to eat it. Since. Oh my! See, I don't. It had this the... glow in the dark hue to it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bothered by that. I prefer the little packages. You know, you oh, absolutely put a dozen of them in your cart, and you've spent what seventy five cents or so. Well, it's That's it's like you know how ramen. you can tell you, know, you cut a tree open, you can tell by the rings how how old the tree is. <laughs> I think for most most Americans, it, it's it's one of those things. If you you sliced us in half, you'd find that ring from probably about the college years of the first year or two of marriage, somewhere in there. That ring is entirely made of ramen because that's just what you do because <laughs> it's you're at that age. Yeah, I think we all go through our ramen phase. Yep, I've had mine, and I wouldn't mind having one right now. Very flavorful. And Dumont good-humoredly arranged with the Augusta Police Department to gently arrest her mother, Simone, who loves watching the TV show Cops. Can I mention her mother is 93 years old? She goes on about how the police have the worst job and what they have to deal with, and she wondered what it was like to be arrested and sit in the back seat, Dumont who posted all of this on Facebook, says Dumont's mother told her the surprise gift on July the 7th made my life, not just her day, not just her birthday, but made her life. She happily got to see the inside of the police car front and back and also pushed the siren button until it wailed. A momentous event, Simone's daughter wrote on Facebook. Well, Simone uh, now refers to the patrol car's owner, Officer Paul Duty, as her cop according to the local uh, media. And she even got an authentic Augusta Police Junior Officer decal as a gift. The Augusta Police Department wrote on Facebook that it was a very proud moment to have uh, been invited to be part of a birthday celebration. Putting a perp in the backseat of the car, who just happened to be 93 and loves the police. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we will be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. James Glenn, by the way, is engineering and producing today's program. You know, school is about to start. Um, it started for some already, about to start for others. So this is kind of a kind of a slow rollout of uh, of school. But a literature class at Davidson College this fall is going to use uh, contract grading. Now, I don't know where this concept was when I was going to school, but contract grading allows students to pick ahead of time the grade that they're going to earn for the class and the workload that they need to complete uh, in order to earn that grade. So you're not actually grading work that you've already done. You're anticipating the work that you will do and then determine how much work you'll need to do to earn that grade. This must be a math class, because I'm not really getting it. Maybe it's a physics class. 
Well, the offer is posed by Professor Melissa Gonzalez for her introduction to Spanish literature and cultures. Uh, of course, it's an SPA 270 at the Private Liberal Arts College in Davidson, North Carolina. She's one of several professors across the nation who allow this pick-your-own-grade method billed as a way of um, eliminating the student-professor power differential and give students control of their education. So you don't want to have a differential uh, power, or rather a, a power differential. The professor, who presumably is well-educated, who knows more than you do, and for that reason you are paying to teach you, somehow you want to minimize that differential so that the student who knows nothing and is paying the person who everyone agrees knows more, doesn't have any more authority than the student who doesn't know anything. Yeah, I'm sure it's a math class. Anyway, critics contend it's just another example of how colleges coddle students from the harsh realities of the real world, where this sort of thing, of course, would not be permitted, which includes uh, competition and goal expectations. Well, as for Gonzalez, she argues there's a strong pedagogical rationale for contracting grades. In an August 1st email to students obtained by the College Fix, it can help students focus on learning more than on grades and therefore make more progress in their learning with less anxiety because, you know, you don't want to have uh, anxiety when you're trying to learn and there's a bit of pressure trying to demonstrate what you've actually learned. So if you're looking for a little bit of an easier go, you might want to consider attending the um, University of, um, what is it? Davidson College, a liberal arts college in Davidson, North Carolina, the University of Massachusetts, Boston, anyway. Davidson College, that's what it is. I actually took a class like that when I was in high school. Yeah? Yeah. I, I, we planned it out. I picked my A, and uh, still remains one of the very few ones I got, unfortunately. Uh, but it was actually uh, really helped. I actually found it for somebody... I'm a little wired weird, so, you know, I have so to So how did it radio. help that you decide you're going to get an A? Um, because you know exactly what you're working towards. You know how you're doing it. And some of the scenarios, you get to pick the assignment, so you can pick, well, that one, that doesn't really do much for me, but this one still teaches me the same lesson as more, you know, engaging. So why would picking your grade ahead of time, why couldn't you do that and then earn whatever grade your work well, if you don't do Reduced. all of it, you don't earn that grade, obviously. Right, but I mean, you wouldn't have to declare ahead of time, I'm getting an A. You could do the same thing you just described yeah. and then have a, a grade assigned to the actual work that you've actually done. Yeah, it, you know, it didn't quite work that way. I don't, I'm not sure why, but I do know this is that um, the, the amount of points that I had targeted, it wasn't so much the letter grade, was far enough into A that once I kind of crossed the line into A, it was like a week to go in the class, and I phoned it in from there. I got my A. I didn't care anymore. Hmm. So not perfect. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, you, you know, it's kind of one of those things like, okay, got my A. Good night, everyone. It's an interesting concept. Uh, there are a lot of those. Mm-hmm. Well, one California school district is being both championed and condemned for its new anti-dress code. Think about that for a moment, anti-dress code. Instead, uh, for the 2018-2019 school year, allowing students to sport looks that include tube tops, ripped jeans, and pajamas on campus to their heart's content. 
In recent weeks, an Alameda Unified School District rolled out the revised dress code policy on a year-long trial period, which the San Francisco Chronicle describes as among the most permissive in the Bay Area. Not surprising, it was San Francisco after all. While those students enrolled in the San Jose Area District are still required to wear bottoms, tops, shoes, and clothing that covers, you know, the important stuff, um, they have to... uh, They otherwise have the uh, the whole sartorial freedom in choosing what they wear or choose not to wear. According to the policy, hats, hoodie sweatshirts, leggings, yoga pants, skinny jeans, midriff-bearing tops, pajamas, ripped jeans, as long as uh, underwear is not exposed, tank tops, including spaghetti straps, halter tops, and tube tops are all fair game, sweatpants, shorts, skirts, dresses, pants, religious headwear, athletic attire, clothing with logos, are all allowed. Meanwhile, uh, the youth are barred from wearing anything with uh, language or imagery promoting drugs, alcohol, violence, hate speech, profanity, pornography, as well as visible underwear or bathing suits. We believe these changes will reduce inequitable and unnecessary discipline and help us maximize learning time, says the uh, chief academic officer, as per Teen Vogue's report on the trailblazing anti-dress code. Representatives from the uh, school district told the Chronicle that school board officials agreed to change the dress code after some female students complained about feeling body shamed from enforcement of the old dress code last year. So ridiculous. Good idea. Hmm. Portland doesn't have much more of one. Well, that. I, the thing I don't understand, I remember when I was a kid. Let me start there. Oh, yeah. I remember when I was at Woodstock Elementary School, the day they announced that the girls could wear pants. Huge. It was a huge deal. Girls can wear pants. Otherwise, we wore dresses, skirts, but we could now wear pants. Did you all write letters to President Wilson to thank him? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if only there was that glass could be removed. (laughs) Uh, Well, eager. are, Are we done with the segment? I can't even start this. Okay, we'll move on. We're going to take a quick break, uh, but we will be back. At least that's what James seems to claim. Uh, You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and it's a fun Friday afternoon. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I have to uh, start this segment with something of a tongue-in-cheek uh, story from The Onion, which means it's satirical. But I loved the uh, I loved the uh, the headline. Students excited to see slate of notable speakers who will be disinvited to campus this year. <laughs> Sadly, that's um, probably more true than not. Berkeley, California, eagerly speculating over who will make up the roster of controversial public intellectuals. Students at the University of California, Berkeley, told reporters Thursday they were excited to see the slate of notable speakers who will be disinvited to campus this year. Man, I can't wait to see which political figures will be invited to campus by various student groups and then forbidden from speaking due to mass public outcry, said sophomore Juliet Hadley, adding that it's always a thrill to learn which academics and pundits will be refused a platform after the administration caves to the demands of enraged campus activists. <laughs> a big thing that attracted me to this school is all of the prominent speakers who are forced to call off their lectures due to safety concerns. One of the best benefits of attending college is being exposed to a diversity of methods of shutting down debate. At press time, Hadley expressed disappointment after the university decided to just play it safe and not invite anyone to campus. 
this year. Oh, man, how boring would that be? Well, Beyonce and Jay-Z are bringing their um, On the Run tour. It's On the Run 2 tour to Columbia, South Carolina, and officials are expecting they're going to bring traffic, too. So they closed the school. Some schools um, early, some shut the school down altogether. Students in the Columbia, South Carolina area got a half day off, um, but it's uh, not for a holiday. It's because Beyonce and Jay-Z will be in town. The power couple is bringing their On the Run 2 tour on the, uh, to the area, and then officials are expecting heavy traffic the day of the concert. On the day of the concert, six schools in the Richmond um, School district will get out early. The district said they'll, uh, they're will they worried that the school, if they dismiss on time, at the regular time on uh, on that day, buses will get stuck in traffic around the University of South Carolina football stadium where the concert is being held. According to the AP, all other schools in that area held, uh, rather were dismissed at their normal times that day. I'm sure there were some students who were pretty upset that they didn't live in closer proximity or go to school in closer proximity to the uh, uh, event. It's unclear how many people in the area were uh, attending the concert itself, but the stadium holds about 80,000. And for those students, it was like a snow day. They got to go home early. Philadelphia's Temp- uh, Temple University is honoring a 45-year relationship that was sparked in a campus elevator. Sharon Rubin and Eric Schlesinger, uh, they briefly met on uh, movie, uh, rather move-in day on September the 6th. 1972, while she was moving in and he was operating a dorm building elevator. The Philadelphia Inquirer reports that Rubin formally introduced herself a few days later at a college mixer, uh, walking up to Schlesinger and saying, Hi, Mr. Elevator Man. Oh, what a pickup line that is. Get it? Pickup elevator. Anyway, the quote is now affixed to the elevator, which will be named for Sherry Rubin Schlesinger on Friday. Um, She died last year from colon cancer. She and uh, her elevator man had been married for more than 42 years. Eric Schlesinger said meeting his future wife in that elevator was the most important thing that ever happened to him at Temple. Kind of a heartwarming story. Well, there's a baby boom in an Arizona hospital, and it's not coming from the maternity ward. Sixteen nurses who work in the intensive care unit at Banner Desert Medical Center in Mesa are pregnant. I know a couple of us did fertility treatments, says one. That's how I ended up finding out that everyone was pregnant. I was like, oh, well, I didn't plan this. Did you? Uh, did we have some kind of pact going that I didn't know about, said another. There was no pact. The baby fever is just a happy coincidence. The nurses said they all like to go to the cafeteria together to satisfy pregnancy cravings. One said she asked a cafeteria worker whether uh, he could make the salad bar more pregnancy friendly and suggested the cafeteria add pickles and olives. The next day there were, you guessed it, pickles and olives, the nurse said. The nurse also said patients have started to notice the growing bellies in the ICU. A banner official said the hospital has been planning for the looming nurse shortage for uh, months now. The nurses who are due between September and February will go on maternity leave uh, for 12 weeks each. Uh, The 16 nurses are from three different critical care units, according to the nursing director for various ICU units at the hospital. The hospital gave each pregnant nurse a special onesie to celebrate the occasion. The onesies say, relax, my mom is a banner nurse. Ah. Kind of a cute uh, gift. Well, the royal couple, you know, the, uh, the Meghan and Harry, have been seen all around town spotting 
or rather hailing cabs, walking a dog in the park. But there's something not quite right. The royal couple appear to have enjoyed a relaxed day out, including a walk around the park and a pub lunch. But can you spot the problem? Well, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, I guess that's how you still refer to her, uh, have two of the most recognizable faces in the world at the moment. But despite being on the front cover of newspapers and magazines across the world, the newlyweds are very private and you very rarely see them out and about unless they're on official visits. So when royal fans spotted the Duke and Duchess of Sussex jumping in a taxi, uh, tucking into a pub lunch and walking the dog in a public park, they were a bit confused. But it turns out things weren't quite what they seemed. It was actually Madame Toussaint's London, her live figures of Harry and Meghan, and they look extremely realistic. The figures made their debut at the uh, British uh, Britain's Got Talent final in uh, June, and they're now regular features at London's tourist attraction. But they took a break from entertaining fans to go for a little trip around the capital and could be seen uh, doing a variety of things around town. Uh, they were spotted hailing a taxi, taking their beagle for a stroll around um, a park, even grabbing a quick lunch and a stop at the Sands End Pub, a popular haunt of the Prince. Well, Steve Davies, general manager of Madame Toussaint's London, said our live figures of Harry and Meghan have been intriguing and entertaining visitors to the attraction since their launch earlier this year. So we thought it was about time we spread some famous fun elsewhere in London. Uh, they took uh, the dog for a walk. They sat on a bench and did other things around town. And they do actually look uh, fairly surprisingly realistic. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry spotted around town in London. So if you spot them around town like that, you know it's not actually them. Okay, I cannot do a Friday show without uh, regaling you with a couple of tales of serpents that have made their way into places they do not belong. A Wisconsin woman never expected her recent car trouble to be caused by a large python. Officials with the um, uh, Omro Police Department were called on Wednesday after a woman who has not yet been named and probably doesn't want to be pulled over because her SUV was running strangely, according to the police department's Facebook page. After opening the hood, the woman was stunned to find a large snake in the engine compartment, police said. Uh, they added that the GMC Tahoe was not running correctly because its serpentine belt, ironically, was thrown off. Well, two officials, Officer Peters of Omro and Lieutenant Sario of Winnicom arrived at the scene and attempted to remove the python. Unsuccessful, a snake expert identified by the police as uh, Steve Keller was called to help out. Eventually, the snake, which slithered its way between the engine and the skid plate, was removed. The reluctant reptile a, uh, is alive and doing well, but it's uh, tired and scared. They identified it as a ball python. It's not currently clear where the snake came from or how it made its way under the hood. But beware, they can make it in places you would never imagine. And then there's this. A man trying to jumpstart his car got a slithering surprise when he opened his hood. The man from rural Hancock in upstate New York told authorities earlier this month that he heard an unusual sound coming from his engine. And when he opened the hood, he saw a venomous timber rattlesnake. He said the reptile slithered across the engine block and curled up on the battery, the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation said in a press release. Wildlife experts were called out to a Hancock located in, on the Pennsylvania border about 115 miles northwest of New York City to remove the snake. While well, Lieutenant Nate Verhaeg uh, untangled the snake uh, tail from the, uh, uh, the engine 
The incident happened on the 11th of June. We're only now hearing about it. The officer said the snake was released next to several large boulders near the car that state wildlife experts described as a much more snake-appropriate habitat. According to wildlife experts, the timber rattlesnake is the largest venomous snake in New York with a record length of 74 and a half inches. Now, if you're looking for an excuse to ride the max, that might be it. And then finally, there's this. There's a cat in Scotland that will have you believing it has nine lives after it spent nine days stuck in a very precarious place. Jacob's owner, Sharon Sterling, has been searching for him for over a week when she got a call from her father that he'd found him behind the grill of his Hyundai SUV. Hmm. Sterling had uh, borrowed the car from her dad for a couple of days, and she told uh, local news that she uh, figures Jacob slipped inside while it was at the house. Well, cats and other animals often slip onto the engine's bay of parked cars to warm up, and that's precisely what this cat did. Jacob wasn't just sitting in the driveway all the time either. During the ordeal, her father took the car on an 80-mile trip from his home to uh, another location in the Scottish coast. Since he parks the car with the uh, front facing a wall, uh, he didn't notice or hear Jacob within the uh, the front of the vehicle, but did say that there has been there have been other cats hanging around the vehicle in the driveway, which he thought was rather odd. It was only when he um, approached the car in a grocery store parking lot that he spotted the cat behind the grill, not knowing it was in fact Jacob. Well, after the discovery, he brought the vehicle to a vet's office, uh, but the staff there couldn't figure out how to free the cat. Finally, realizing whose cat it was, he called his daughter and they drove uh, to a Hyundai dealership where technicians pried the front bumper open and let the cat loose. Amazingly, the only injury Jacob sustained was a bruised nose. He also lost about two pounds and was dehydrated, but was apparently able to sustain himself on rainwater. So you never know who you might be driving around or what. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour, but we'll be back. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. James Blind is engineering and producing today's program. As this is Friday, we try to take a look at the lighter side of the news, or at least stories we wouldn't typically have time to cover during the course of the regular week. So that's um, our effort here today is to inform you on things that matter little. A Minneapolis marketing company recently made tweaks uh, to its employee benefits this summer, ranging from conventional to unusual. It gave workers a large commuter stipend, uh, as well as a reason to avoid the office altogether. Fraternity leave, yes, spelled F-U-R-T-E-R-N-I-T-Y leave, or the ability to work from home for a week to welcome new dogs or cats. It's almost enough to get me to get a pet. Uh, This kind of no-brainer, says uh, a vice president of the company, uh, who helped devise the new policy. The idea of offering benefits that just help keep employees at the office, that's over. Well, in recent decades, many companies in the United States have overhauled their perks in an effort to retain employees and entice new recruits. Tech giants like Facebook, Google have gone further, providing gourmet meals in cafeterias, gyms at work, and daycares on site. But as far as pets are concerned, few companies appear to have gone as far as, um, you know, or far beyond, rather, take your dog to work day, my least favorite day of the year. An Italian company allowed a woman last year to take a paid time off uh, when her dog became sick. And employees at McParticle, 
A data company in New York are offered paternity leave, two weeks of paid time off for those who adopt a rescue pet or get an exotic pet, such as an iguana. It wasn't immediately clear whether fraternity or paternity was the industry standard term. Um, in May, Mr. McCarthy was finalizing the adoption of a golden doodle puppy named Bentley. Mr. McCarthy's 26 said he had uh, read a lot about the pitfalls of helping a dog adjust to a new environment. It can be a stressful situation going from its original home to a new home and so on. Worried about Bentley, then just um, two months old, being home alone, Mr. McCarthy, he sent a request to his boss. And, well, you can imagine the rest. He received a response almost immediately. Absolutely, they said. They first um, That first week, McCarthy worked from his apartment in Richland in Minneapolis suburb. And Bentley's by his side. Bentley also spent some hours of the day in a kennel, getting used to the closed environment. About every hour, he took a trip outside to go to the, well, you know. Even with his owner watching closely, Bentley had a few accidents in the house. But Mr. McCarthy noted that Bentley, a mix between a golden retriever and a poodle, which are thought to be um, two of the smartest breeds, was a quick learner. It was really, really nice to be there while I was working to transition him. Well, in a workplace of 85 employees, a handful of people um, in recent years have requested the ability to work from home for getting a new dog or cat, and now that's become a reality for many of these employees. Now, James, what kind of a perk would keep you here? Uh, I mean, besides, you know, the fact that you work with great people um, you uh, love your job, you have a comfortable chair. What would be a perk that would just guarantee you're cemented in here, you're not going anywhere? Well, cement, for one. <laughs> yeah, that would do it. It's one of those things, you know, the old 17-week paid vacation? That would sure come close. I mean, that's that definitely would come close. Yeah. I think that, the, you know, as a, as a broad scheme thing, I, I think that that's, you know, I'm willing to start at 17 and negotiate from there. And <laughs> if there's a company out there willing to offer me 52, I'll 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 leave right now. I love, I had I'm it. very loyal. I'm very loyal to this job. But if someone out there wants to offer me a job with 52 weeks paid vacation a year, I'm okay with this, and I would consider moving. Hey, if I had it, I'd give it to you. I know, I know. <laughs> Instead, you give me 52 weeks of naps from four to six daily. So it's it, it's significant. Six one half a dozen of the of exactly. The other. Well, the Polish TV commentator had a surprise visitor jump into his interview last week. His cat, who apparently was present, maybe it was take your cat to work day in Poland, leapt right onto his shoulders, curled itself around its head and stayed there for the entire program. Historian and political scientists uh, were discussing Poland's Supreme Court and the Dutch news program which I won't attempt to pronounce because I would embarrass myself even further. Uh, when his cat hopped into the spotlight, well, the cat didn't uh, miss a beat, or rather the commentator didn't miss a beat. I suppose neither did the cat. He just kept talking to the journalist as the cat stood on his shoulder and climbed up onto his head. Now, I'm not sure I would have had that kind of composure. The video was uh, shared on Twitter during the talk uh, the commentator looks almost unfazed by the cat on his uh, shoulder and head. When the cat's tail blocks his eyes, he gently brushes his away as if nothing had happened. He doesn't knock the cat down. He merely holds the tail so that it doesn't keep covering his face. He remained completely unruffled during his interview when this happened, says uh, one uh, observer, which had been uh, viewed on Twitter more than 300,000 times since it was posted in July.
The interview was uh, pre-taped, by the way, so the whole feline fiasco was not actually seen on TV. However, a small glimpse of the interview was used in a segment aired by Dutch TV channel NTR. Um, so it can be actually viewed if you're looking. Was it last year or the year before? We, I think it was a BBC interview with a with a correspondent who was doing the interview from his house, and all of a sudden his kids busted in. I think <laughs> yeah. like a four year old and a two year old. The two year old goes toddling in, and it and was then, live. So and it was live, and there was nothing you could do over Skype. I think if I remember yeah. correctly, yeah. And a frantic, uh, frantic mom came run, running through the door to scoop up the kids, and it, <laughs> it, it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. That's a a good recollection. Well, a German man called police. Now, you know, law enforcement, they put up with a lot. We call them for the stupidest stuff. But a German man called police after a baby squirrel would not stop following him. I mean, how do you even make that call with a straight face and maintain your manhood? That's all I want to know. The distraught man called Karlsruhe uh, Emergency Services. We'll go with that. Uh, on Thursday, and claimed he was being chased down the street by a small rodent. Big man, small rodent, called the police being chased. Police in the southern German town responded to the call and found the squirrel running after the unidentified man. However, soon after police arrived on the scene, the squirrel abruptly gave up the pursuit and lay down and fell asleep. <laughs> really? The squirrel has fallen asleep. In fright, apparently, the police said. Well, after investigating the incident of rodent harassment, police officers figured the tiny animal had likely become separated from its mother and followed the man around in search of a new home. Well, the man didn't know what to do, and so he called the police. He was certainly feeling a bit threatened by the small rodent. Mm. It often happens that squirrels, which have lost their mothers, look for a replacement and then focus their efforts on one person. Uh, the man didn't know what to do, and so he called police. He was certainly feeling uh, that uh, bit of fear and threat uh, that the squirrel can become very persistent, not just running behind someone, but uh, entirely fixated on them. It can be pretty frightening. Well, officers took the small suspect <clears throat> into police custody and then eventually turned him over to an animal rescue center. Two other baby squirrels were reportedly also brought to the animal rescue center that day, uh, though only one of them appeared to have had a run-in with the law. You know, it's one of those things. Remember that show, Dirty Jobs? Yeah. A couple of years ago. Uh, got to imagine that uh, one of those would be a squirrel parole officer. <laughs> yeah, you I'm, just got to imagine. I'm thinking be. so. Well, for one thing, your uh, your client just rolls over and falls asleep without warning if he's stressed. Who knew? We're going to take a break because that's what we do periodically. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back in just a few moments. By the way, portions of our program today are brought to you, brought to you, ladies and gentlemen, by Liberty Coin and Currency. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a relatively fun Friday afternoon. It's cool. It's cloudy. It's Oregon again. Well, Great Britain is currently under siege by a mob of drunk and irritable wasps. No, the, the real wasps, intoxicated by fermented fruit and leftover pub cider. Well, experts from the Sussex Wildlife Trust, I just like saying Sussex, Wildlife Trust told the Daily Mail that the uh, wasps are often uh, driven to drink around this time of year due to a combination of environmental factors as well as part of their own anatomy. Well, a tight band around the uh, creatures, I've always wanted that wasp-like middle, but never quite got there. 
Anyway, the creature's abdomen prevents them from consuming their conventional diet of uh, flies later in their lives, spurring them to seek out liquid food sources. During this stage, adult wasps rely on sugar-rich spit, spittle, if you will, produced by larvae laid by the hive queen, according to the Sussex Wildlife Trust. However, by mid to late August, the queen stops this process, leaving the rest of the hive with nothing to eat. She is clearly a diva. Well, the desperate wasps then flock to human food that has been improperly discarded, such as fermented fruit, leftover ciders. These foods contain enough, well, booze to get wasps quite tipsy, which makes them irritable and sting happy, according to the Daily Mail. Sting happy. Well, to make matters even worse, wasp season started six weeks earlier this year due to the extremely cold weather there, which pest control expert uh, say, allowed the bees to create absolutely massive nests. And again, we're talking about in Britain, so we don't have to worry about the massive nests, but you get the idea. Well, a technical manager at the British Pest Control Association in, you guessed it, Sussex, uh, said that the best way to help control the terrifying epidemic, terrifying epidemic, is for people to ensure that they dispose of their waste properly. Uh, We always advise waste to be securely bagged and held within a clean container away from where young children might play, she said in a statement. Now, that's in the U.K. We're here in the uh, Pacific Northwest, but the same principle applies. Have you ever wondered where that little goldfish went? What happened to that thing you brought home in a little bag? You bought the round bowl, you put it in, got tired of it fairly quickly, and you don't really know what happened. Perhaps it was flushed. Well, goldfish in Paris are getting a second chance to just keep swimming, even after their owners kick them out of their tiny fishbowl homes. Well, according to Reuters, the Paris Aquarium has been taking in unwanted goldfish who can no longer live with their humans, no matter the reason. More than 600 goldfish have found sanctuary at the aquarium over the last two years, where they're well taken care of and empty Uh, much more space, or rather enjoy much more space to swim around. I can imagine that would be the case. And fish aren't just um, plopped into the tank when they arrive, surrounded uh, uh, by other fish. They're happier. They're surrendered by their previous owners. They undergo a regime of antibiotics and treatments while under quarantine for at least a month before being introduced to their new fish society. The Good News Network reported some of them arrive very weak. One biologist uh, points out she also mentioned that the fish grow much larger at the aquarium than the fishbowl that uh, could allow sometimes between eight to 12 inches. So that little tiny, tiny fish that you uh, enjoyed at home may, in fact, be a rather large uh, fish today. Just like cat and dog owners who can surrender their pets to ethical shelters rather than neglecting them, the program offers fish owners a better solution to setting free uh, perfectly healthy fish when they can go Uh, They can no longer take care of them, letting fish loose in ponds or rivers or even worse, you know, the flush uh, can be detrimental uh, to the environment. The goldfish are also available for the general public to view. So you can check that out. If any owners have second thoughts, they're able to come and reclaim their fish, although identifying them from a tank with dozens of other fish might be tough. But you're welcome to try. Take little fishy home. That's kind of heartwarming, isn't it? No, not so much. Um, Is it the remains of a woolly mammoth or a decaying whale? Those were the questions on beachgoers' minds as they gathered around a giant, hairy sea creature that was beached in Siberia. 
the mysterious creature, which doesn't appear to have a prominent face or eyes, uh, recently washed up from the, Bo- the Bering Sea. Uh, the most interesting thing about this creature is it's covered with tubular fur. Could it be some ancient creature, says a local uh, observing the thing? I wish scientists could inspect this um, enigma that the ocean has thrown at us. Well, the creature is about three times as big as the average man, and some reports seeing at least two tentacles, uh, prompting some to question whether this was a huge octopus. The carcass had a, a pungent odor, as most carcasses do once they're washed up onto dry land. Well, marine biologists uh, who work at the Russian Research Institute of Fisheries and Oceanography I told the local newspaper the globster, as they're calling it, was most likely a piece of a whale that had been dead for a while. Under the influence of the sea, time and various animals, um, uh, from the smallest to the largest, a whale often takes on bizarre forms, he explains. Uh, This is only a part of a whale, not the whole of the whale, so it's difficult to identify. It's currently unclear whether researchers uh, will take tissue or DNA samples of the creature. This isn't the first time a shaggy-haired monster has been uh, spotted on the beach, a similar-looking uh, creature washed up on, on the Philippines beach back in May, causing chaos in the area. A video of the massive grayish-white creature was posted on YouTube, showing two men with ropes working together, the, uh, together rather, to pull the monster out of the sea. Well, based on the size and shape of the creature and what marine experts observed, fishery experts confirmed that it was, in fact, the body or at least the partial remains of a whale. By the way, in February of last year, another odd creature washed ashore in the Philippines just off the Dingagat Island. Similar, the the animal was about 20 feet long, weighed about 4,000 pounds, had long, shaggy white hair, according to the National Geographic report at the time. So you're seeing whale parts, apparently. Well, an Australian man has tried to board two passenger trains, rather, with his horse named Frida. But train conductors refuse to continue the journey with Frida aboard. We hope this will stay a uh, one-off, says a spokesman quoted by the uh, Austrian news agency APA as saying, adding that horses could be dangerous, for example, if the train had to break suddenly. Well, the guidelines stipulate that small, harmless animals in closed and secure containers, dogs on leashes, wearing muzzles and so on, can be taken on trains. It's not the first time a horse owner has tried to board a train with their four-legged companion. In 2011, a man was captured on CCTV, uh, leading his pony along the Wales train platform after buying two tickets for himself and the animal. Like Frida, the white pony was deemed too big for train travel by the conductors. Clearly a, uh, an example of discrimination. Well, it was just another bad commute for a duo of New York City transit riders. Subway officials were surprised on Monday when they caught a pair of goats wandering the tracks in Brooklyn. The four-legged animals were walking on the tracks um, for the in-line for about two hours before the New York City police were able to safely remove them. Again, call the police. Um, A new one for us, we think, said one of the police officers. Uh, Two goats are roaming along the in-line tracks in Brooklyn. Uh, They're safe and not currently affecting service, but they are on the run. We'll keep you posted. (laughs) They posted. Well, the goats have been uh, removed from the tracks by NYPD and uh, service is uh, resumed shortly after. We thank um, you, EWE, for your patience, uh, the police officers tweeted. I'm telling you, they're running amok. And then finally, there's this. 
Several Bigfoot sightings have happened near the town, and a TV show even came to hunt for the creature. This is a North Carolina town, and they've picked Bigfoot as their official town animal. Well, now the town is celebrating its unique visitor with a festival. There will be a bouncy house, games, scavenger hunts, and even the best Bigfooters in the state, bringing along all their audio and video, which, of course, will be too grainy to actually confirm the creature exists in the 21st century. Well, visitors can even expect Bigfoot vendors coming all the way from California. I think it's awesome, says one. Hopefully it will bring a little more laughter to the world, says Allie Webb of Bigfoot Juice. It's not the question of whether you believe, it's whether you support the community, and we do so together. So, North Carolina, Bigfoot, their official town animal, creature, myth, you decide. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Well, plastic surgeons are reporting a disturbing new trend. Patients wanting to look like the retouched, filtered versions of themselves that they post on Snapchat and Instagram. You know, you apply a filter and you look different. You look better. You look younger. You look brighter. Well, Boston Medical Researchers uh, authored an article that calls the trend Snapchat dysmorphia. And they argue that the filters on popular photo sharing apps are wreaking havoc on our self-esteem. We look so much better when we're touched up. Well, Snapchat, which is a younger user base, comes with a wide range of filters that will make a person's skin look smoother, their eyelashes longer, their faces more angular, brighter. Everything looks better. Well, the report in the journal JAMA, Facial Plastic Surgery, claims that these filters can sometimes trigger body dysmorphic disorder, a mental illness that can lead to compulsive tendencies and unnecessary beauty procedures, among other uh, negative outcomes. And unlike the use of Photoshop that's um, commonly used for fashion photography and magazines, the filters on Snapchat provide entirely unhuman standards of attractiveness, presenting an unattainable look and blurring the lines of reality and fantasy for these uh, patients, the report says. Well, the report also notes that over half of plastic surgeries say patients want the procedure so that they can look better in selfies, not better in real life, not uh, take care of a problem. Uh, but to look better in the photographs they will take of themselves and post, creating an image that is probably far more exciting than the one that they actually inhabit. Well, the airbrushed, idealized versions of women and men in glossy magazines have long been cited by experts as triggers for increased um, rates of eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Now, tens of millions of people have apps like Line Camera and uh, Facetune to make themselves look different, thinner, blemish-free, while posting the shots as though they are candid and regular. Hey, James, can you find this uh, app? We need, to, we need to find this. Yeah. Just imagine what our, how much better our lives will be if all the pictures of us look better than us. We'll be in high demand. Of course, we can't ever show up at anything because once we show up, they'll see we actually look like, well, this. Huh. Yeah, I mean, how do you... How do I guess we'll just have to have work done. A little tweak here, a little pinch there, a little puffing real, there. Real real life. Got it. No shortcuts. Oh, man. Yeah, well, Snapchat surgery. Snapchat I mean, surgery. I think I'll pass. 
I don't, I don't think it's covered in our plan anyway. Yeah, probably not. Hey, there's a new social media site that just hurdles your life updates into the void. You don't have to, you know, look at what happened 15 years ago and see the thing reintroduced over and over again where people are praying for the surgery you had back in 2012 uh, because Facebook has reposted it. Finally, there's a way to ensure that your social media posts go where they belong, directly into the proverbial garbage can. You post it, it happens, you say it. And it's done. It's all thanks to a new kind of site called Brizzly. A, it's a social media network that, like Twitter and Facebook, gives you a little box to fill with life updates, but in an improvement on both services, then takes your text and does absolutely nothing with it. The site positions itself as a way to break your social media habit by giving you all the endorphins that, um, that come with creating content and pressing send, but none of the downsides. You won't say something dumb and lose your job. No one will respond and tell you you're an idiot. And there will be precisely zero metrics such as likes, retweets that uh, make you question your self-worth. Instead, the post will disappear forever and you will move on with your life. Bliss It's kind of like, I don't know, writing a letter. Making a phone call. What, what, what's, One and what's done. Writing a letter. Yeah, I'll explain it to you later. It's a whole nother thing. The Eagles' greatest hits album has moonwalked past Michael Jackson's thriller to become history's best selling album of all time. The Recording Industry Association of America told the Associated Press on Monday that the Eagles' album, Their Greatest Hits, 1971 to 75, is now certified. 38 times platinum, which means sales and streams of the album have reached 38 million copies. Now, to Michael Jackson's credit, there wasn't streaming at that time. You just had to buy an album or, you know, there were just conventional ways of purchasing. Uh, But the Eagles have exceeded the now-deceased Michael Jackson. The album was released in 1976, pushed Jackson's Thriller, which was 33 times platinum, to second place. Uh, They also say the Eagles Hotel California, released in 1977, is now 26-time platinum and makes it the third best-selling album of all time. Um, The last time they uh, tallied sales for the Eagles' greatest hits album was in 2006 when it said it was 29 times platinum. Sales and streams for Thriller were last updated last year. So this is quite an accomplishment for this group to be one and three for the... uh, yeah, I've seen quite a bit of lobbying already on, on social media trying to get people to buy the streams of Thriller to get it back where it belongs. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's kind of amazing. It really is amazing in that this is, you know, this is 2018 and the top two albums are from 1976 yes. and what Thriller came out with about 81, 82. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, for people who say that the music industry is not put, you know, it's certainly put out some good stuff since then, but... Uh, those are still, you know, one, of the, two of the top albums, the, the two top albums, um, and and less people think. It, I think it's ten streams equal one sale. Ah. So um, there is a formula there, so that you know every time you stream it on Spotify, it doesn't count as a sale necessarily. They they make you they make you earn that one. So if if you want to, you know, get a Thriller back up there and you want to do it streaming style, you're going to be listening to it a lot. Yeah, sadly, I don't care that much. Nope. Well, there you have it. And then there's this. Sony Music Entertainment reportedly admitted this week to releasing three fake songs on a posthumous Michael Jackson album. The songs Breaking News, Monster, and Keep Your Head Up appeared on the album Michael in 2010 and were sung by a King of Pop impersonator 
according to uh, Vibe. Uh, a fan first brought up the allegations in 2014 and filed a class action lawsuit against the album's producers, according to Vulture. The songs were actually performed by Jason Malachi, um, uh, somebody else. So according to TMZ, he confessed to taking part in the recording back in 2011. Jackson's longtime friends uh, initially claimed they recorded the songs in the basement in 2007, but failed to back up their claim. Uh, they noticed dozens, uh, at least listeners, noticed dozens of inconsistencies with the songs and used an audiologist to back up um, the theory that this was not uh, what, what they were selling it as, um, according to a hip-hop website. Well, Sony claimed in court it had the right to advertise the album as Jackson's despite using the impersonator. According to Vulture, a court will decide the label's culpability in the next few weeks. So there you have it. Not really sure that's meaningful, but there you have it. Well, kids these days, anyone who's ever gone on an Amazon shopping spree understands the allure of the one-click buy option with next-day shipping, and this six-year-old girl is no exception. Caitlin was recently allowed to order a Barbie from the online retailer for her birthday with her mom's supervision. But after getting a taste for online shopping, the little girl decided she wanted more. Under the guise of checking the shipping status of her gift, Caitlin later borrowed her mom's phone and decided to buy herself a few more things. Caitlin is six. The next day, a delivery truck delivered, uh, a driver rather, arrived at the family's Utah home. They just started unloading box after box after box. Caitlin's older cousin told BuzzFeed, well, the mom shared the image of Caitlin on Twitter standing beside the stack of packages from her recent purchase with a sly grin on her face. Her mom went on her Amazon account and saw three pages of things she had ordered. Without anyone knowing what she'd been up to, Caitlin purchased $350 worth of toys and games for herself. Without anyone knowing, she knew exactly what she was doing when she did it. I was so surprised, Caitlin's mom says, that a six-year-old knew how to do a one-click next-day shipping She's a little scammer in the making. Well, Caitlin isn't the first kid to pull this trick. People share similar stories on Twitter all the time of this happening to them as well. Needless to say, uh, mom says that um, the little girl has lost her Internet privileges for a month. And no, she doesn't get to keep her booty, uh, the stuff that she purchased from uh, Amazon without her family knowing. Well, a woman has had a contact lens removed from her eyelid. 28 years after it was thought to have fallen out. Did you say 28? 28 years. Two, dis- eight. Yeah. The discovery was made by doctors in Dundee after a patient, now aged 42, complained of swelling over her eye. The lens was found lodged in a cyst, which had mysteriously flared up after more than a quarter of a century. The woman had been struck in the eye uh, by a uh, shuttlecock when she was 14 and it had been assumed the lens had been knocked out by the impact. Well, the unusual case is reported in the medical journal. Uh, researchers uh, say that the hospital carried out an MRI scan after the woman was referred to the uh, Department of Ophthalmology. The patient presented with um, left upper eyelid swelling and ptosis, which is a droopy eye, according to doctors. Images reveal an ovoid-shaped cyst about 8 millimeters long, but there was no evidence of anything inside it. When surgeons removed the lump... The cyst ruptured, revealing the lens. Well, Dr. Patal and colleagues wrote, on further questioning, the patient's mother recalled that the patient had a history of blunt trauma to the upper left eyelid as a child. The patient was hit in the left eye with a shuttlecock 
which played badminton at the age uh, of 14. The patient was wearing uh, rigid gas-permeable contact lenses at the time, which were never found. It was assumed that the contact lens dislodged out of the eye and was lost. Well, the paper explains the woman, who's not named, suffered swelling to the eye The incident uh, in the incident, but it w- she was successfully treated. The patient had never worn um, lenses again following the incident. Thankfully, researchers says we can infer that the RGP lens migrated into the patient's left upper eyelid at the time of the trauma. And it had been situated there for about 28 years. The team added the migration of a rigid gas permeable lens onto the eyelid is a rare cause of eyelid swelling. I mean, even after 28 years, spontaneous migration of a hard contact lens into the eyelid is a relatively known um, occurrence, but we were only able to find four reported cases of lens migrations um, of this particular type. Wow, kind of make, wants to make you put your glasses on. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back and we'll let you know what's coming up next week on the program. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a Friday afternoon. Now, next week, when we return to more serious and meaningful content, uh, we're going to talk with Jarrett Stevens, the author of The Mountains Are Calling, Making the Climb for a Clearer View of God and Ourselves. The book is published by Multnomah. On um, Tuesday, we're going to talk with uh, retired judge Tom Cole. He took a recent um, adventure in Spain that led him through France, and we're going to talk about this pilgrimage and what he learned along the way and what his purpose in going uh, might have been. I've seen a picture of one of the blisters he had, and oh my, you have to be pretty dedicated if you want to take this uh, this particular walk. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Mary Lowe. She's the author of Ecologies of Faith in a Digital Age, Spiritual Growth Through Online Education. And on Thursday, we'll talk with Wayne Grudem, Christian Ethics, and Introduction to Biblical Moral Reasoning. It's a rather thick book, so I have my work cut out for me preparing, but he's uh, going to join us on Thursday. And then on Friday, assuming, you know, everything is uh, as we expect, we'll lighten up and uh, once again, take a look at the lighter side of the news. So that's what's coming up next week. Well, a stinky situation aboard an Alaska Airlines flight forced the plane to make an unscheduled landing on Sunday. The plane, which was headed from San Francisco to New Orleans, was forced to divert to LAX when a strong odor was detected on board during the flight in the aircraft, in the aft cabin, rather, according to a representative from Alaska Airlines. Well, the plane landed safely at LAX around noon, and the 136 passengers were recommended on other flights, or reaccommodated, rather. The airline also confirmed that the plane was being inspected by technicians to pinpoint the cause. A representative for Alaska was not available to elaborate on the outcome of that inspection. But this is like the third flight that we've been hearing about where the smell of something uh, required that the plane land. Well, the Alaska airline flight's uh, unscheduled stop follows news of a Spirit Airlines flight that was forced to make an emergency landing in July after passengers detected an unusual order, odor rather that uh, they likened to dirty socks. A hazmat team was called in to inspect the plane and several passengers were treated on the scene for symptoms including headache, nausea and difficulty breathing. And the mystery continues. Well, this may not exactly be one of the connoisseurs, one for the connoisseurs, but archaeologists in Egypt say that they have found the oldest solid cheese known to man. Well, the ancient cheese, which is around 3,300 years old, was found in the tomb of Patmos, or 
the mayor of ancient Egypt, uh, an Egyptian city of Memphis. Researchers from the Italian Ministry of Education, University and Research, Italy's uh, Catania University and Cairo University in Egypt worked on the project studying broken jars at the site. Well, one jar contained a solidified whitish mass as well as canvas fabric that might have covered the jar or been uh, used to preserve its contents, say one researcher, one of the researchers. After dissolving the sample, the researchers purified its protein constituents and analyzed them with liquid chroma- chromatography and mass spectrometry. Well, the peptides detected by these techniques show the simple answer to the difficult question. It was a dairy product made from cow's milk or sheep's milk, for that matter. And uh, it is now considered the oldest um, cheese known to man. Now, one wonders what that might have tasted like at the time, what it might taste like even now. Do you wonder, James? Old cheese? If only this weren't radio, you could see the expression on his face. By the way, in Washington, politicians, bureaucrats, lobbyists have their way. Consumers of common non-dairy milk, such as almond milk or soy milk, may soon have to buy those products under obscure labeling, such as plant juice or tree nut beverage. You know, when you're giving up dairy, I can't have milk. I'm going to go with soy milk or I'm going to go with almond milk or coconut milk. The word milk, it's some sort of a consolation, but plant juice or tree nut beverage? In another unfortunate instance of overcriminalization after efforts to make it a crime to label non-dairy products as milk stalled in the Senate, the Food and Drug Administration may now be trying to do, through regulatory means, what Congress has been unwilling or unable to do through legislation. You know, they actually represent the people. Well, that's an utter shame, pun intended especially for an administration otherwise committed to sensible deregulation. Well, last year, Senator Tammy Baldwin introduced the Defending Against Limitations and Replacement of Yogurt, Milk, and Cheese to Promote Regular Intake of Dairy Everyday Act, also known as the Dairy Pride Act. Well, that would make it a federal crime to use the term milk on the label of any beverage not derived from lacteal secretion. Now, maybe they should put that on the carton. Instead of milk, just put lacteal secretion obtained by the complete milking of one or more hooved mammals. In other words, 2% lacteal secretion or whole lacteal secretion. The bill's main premise is that plant-based products labeled as milk mislead the average American who is too stupid to realize uh, that coconuts, for example, don't have hooves. Because I know I've been confused. I thought I heard my coconut milk moo once. But then again, by the way, the stinky corpse flower is now in full bloom in California. Visitors are flocking to the Huntington Library in Southern California to get a whiff of a so-called corpse flower known for the rotten stench it releases when it blooms. The flower nicknamed Stink uh, became uh, rather began blooming unexpectedly on Thursday night. According to a spokesperson, we thought we had a few more days to go, but it was ready and it was pretty spectacular if you think Stench is spectacular. Corpse flowers typically take 15 years to reach a mature blooming size and uh, blooms unusually only uh, last about 24 hours. The foul odor the plant emits attracts insects for pollination. The plants uh, don't emit the foul odor until they bloom. Well, stink is the sixth 
corpse flower to bloom at the institution in suburban San Marino. The last was in August of 2014. The plant is one of three corpse flowers expected to bloom within the next week. The two other flowers, nicknamed Stunk and Stank, sort of conjugated, should bloom in the next few days. So the Huntington is uh, seeing more visitors than normal because of the flower. The great thing about these flowers is they're so unusual looking and have this reputation of smelling, well, really bad. It gets all kinds of people really interested in botanical science. It's just a charismatic plant in sort of a detestable, unattractive way. All right, we're out of time. I want to thank James Blinn for engineering and producing today's program, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great weekend. We'll be back in studio on uh, Monday. Hope you'll join us. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.